So for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Ian. I am the online campus pastor. And, uh, well, this will be interesting. Um, I just want to thank you for coming this morning. And Pastor Craig is out celebrating uh, his son's graduation from college. And I, I know that many moms and some dads are coming to that time of year where graduations happen. I know I am. And I know how I can kind of have a feeling of what that's like. It's a turning of the page, a new time and a new place. It's a little awkward and a little uncomfortable. So I'm with you. I get it. I wanted to start out today talking about math. Yeah, I got, that was a much better response than the earlier service. <clears throat> and you're all lying to me and I know it. The reality is, is math does a lot of things. It's, it, it powers so much the computers when they work. It, it, it powers, you know, without math, you would not have a car or vehicle. Without math, there would not be roads. Math is all around us. But there's really this complicated math. You know, there's people that study this stuff for a living. And it's amazing, and it terrifies me. I'm glad I'm not a math mathematician, and so are you. The reality is, is that math builds upon math. So, so really complicated engineering and algebra. That requires things like powers and roots and scientific notation and geometry. And those things require multiplication and division. And multiplication and division require addition and subtraction. We all understand that math builds on math. You can't have the complicated stuff without starting with the easy stuff. And the same thing happens with language. So how many of you, when you were born, could talk? Oh, okay. Guess I was the only one. As we grow up, as we grow, we, are, we have to learn to control our voices and our bodies to actually make sounds that make sense, other than the screaming. We got that. The reality, though, is we have to learn, and we got, then we have to learn the language, and we have to learn to communicate, but it all starts at a building block, figuring out how to even make some noise. We understand that in life there are a lot of things we have to make building blocks on. We build on top of things. But the funny thing is, there are some things we just don't think about building on top of one another. You know, we have this thing here called family. And for those of you who are new to us, it's, it's a combination of friends and family. <laughs> friends and family. Friends and family, which makes family. And our definition, the way we like to think of it is friends who are like family. However, for a lot of people, and sometimes it's, it's kind of sad to talk about it on Mother's Day, but for some people, the family that you grew up with was not the best. 
So your understanding of family is a little messed up. But our families, the families we grew up with, grew up in, they shape our understanding of the world. They shape our understanding of relationships. Right or wrong, our understanding of mom and dad and brother and sister and all that goes along with it, it comes from family. But for some strange reason, there is this misconception that when you walk in the doors of the church, it all goes together. No, it doesn't. We all know that. We think we know that. But there is, always seems to be that tension of why? Why do we, aren't we all just plugged in? Well, for those of you with computers and For those of you that are familiar with computers, which I'm sure most of you are and are becoming more familiar with it as the uh, service goes on, <laughs> they have this great technology, it's called plug and play. Just, you just plug in that new thing and it just works. Yeah, no. Not even for Max. Does it always work? But you know, these, you know, these people, that get paid lots of money to make sure it happens. But it doesn't always. Do we get frustrated? Oh, yeah. Do we get angry? Yes. But ultimately, we get over it because we just have to deal with it. The question is, why do we give grace to computers when we don't give grace to each other? That's your first fill-in. Although I don't really want to give grace, much grace to the computers right now. People like me often say, I love computers. Yeah, except for the fact that I don't have a relationship with it. When it's time, it will go away and I will just buy a new one. Yet, there are, there, what's going on right now in our culture is there are people that are not just interacting with technology, they're relating to technology. They are in a relationship with technology. They don't know how to do face-to-face -face human interaction. It terrifies them. They just don't know it. Some people are going to say, oh, well, it's all the technology's fault. Well, no. Actually, it isn't. You see, the sad part about technology, it just puts a magnifying glasses on a problem we already have. The problem is that we often treat people like we treat technology. When they cause us a problem, we throw them away. And I want you to let that sink in. In the very place 
where we're supposed to live the very good life, where it is supposed to be on display. We treat it as a disposable good. When Pastor Craig started out this sermon series, he started out with how when God created creation, it was good. And then mankind came along and it became very good. And then we do, or we did what we do, which is we mess it all up. We sinned. But through God's grace and mercy, Christ came and resolved that. The, but then he continued and asked, how are you doing making the world a better place? You see, Jesus didn't leave people the same way he left them. He left them better off. And we are called to do exactly the same thing. And then last week, Joni talked about holiness and how we are to reflect God's holiness to the world. But the problem is we, we, we have barriers. We put barriers between ourselves and others. We've even put barriers inside our own hearts to hide away the pain that we have felt. But these messages are a building block for what I want to get to and how, what I want us to talk about today. Both Craig and Joni referred to Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed in this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. And understanding that the word transformed there is both, hey, that took all the fun out of it. Oh, well. The, you know, the transformed is both transforming and has been transformed. It's both what has happened and what will happen. So, the logo up ahead, for those of you who are not familiar with the Transformers, well, we'll just move on. <laughs> this is the Autobot symbol, the good guys, right? But you'll notice there's a cross on it. So the Transformers are known for having this ability to go between a robot configuration and a car configuration. They are always transforming. Just as we are always changing, growing, and transforming. It is into what we are being transformed that defines us. And our goal is to be more like Christ. There is no question that the world is changing at a rapid pace. In fact, it seems to be the pace of change seems to be accelerating. So I want to take you to a place where there's a gap between rich and poor, and it's huge, and it's growing larger. Think of a place where the infrastructure, the way you get from point A to point B, 
is in disrepair, falling apart, or even if it exists. Oh, and there's, then there's this underlying tension of revolution and anxiety. I'm not talking about today, although that does describe much of it. Talking about John, the time of John Wesley. And what does John Wesley have to do with you and me? Well, John Wesley is the spiritual grandfather, shall we say, of our denomination. The Church of the Nazarene considers itself a Wesleyan denomination. And what does John Wesley have to do with us now? Well, you see, in John Wesley's time, there was this thing called, oh, I don't know, the American Revolution. But across the ocean, the United Kingdom, that country that we broke away from, really, other than us, kind of really didn't have any problems. It was doing just fine. And we were actually a small blip on the radar. However, all the other European countries were in a completely different state. Empires, kingdoms, nobilities, they were all in disarray. Revolution, dissatisfaction were the name and the game of the day. But the United Kingdom avoided it. Well, how? Well, historians have now, or at least some historians, now attribute it to John Wesley. Why John Wesley? Well, John Wesley and a number of his compatriots, his fellow Christians, started making a difference. They became advocates for the poor, the workers, the disenfranchised, the prisoners, the slaves. Oh, there was a revolution. It just wasn't the same kind by force of arms. It was person to person. In the church and inside every one of us, there needs to be a revolution. And God gave us the tools to make that happen. Each other. God gave us each other to make a revolution happen. So what kind of revolution am I talking about? Well, if you have your Bibles, open up to Galatians, or we have, uh, there should be on the back of the bulletin, the, the scripture. And then, of course, there's the app. And a quick aside, I know some of the fill-in-the-blanks are missing from your bulletin. That's on me. Just so we got that, so there's going to be a little, you'll see some extras. So anyways, let's, re, let's go ahead and look at our scripture. Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed. So that the law became our custodian until Christ, so that we may be made righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. You are all God's children through faith in Christ Jesus. All of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all 
are one in Christ Jesus. Now, if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. I'm saying as long as the heirs are minors, they are no different from slaves, though they own it all. However, they are placed under trustees and guardians until the date set by the parents. In the same way, when we were minors, we were also enslaved by this world's system. This was so he could redeem those under the law so that we could be adopted because you are sons and daughters. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave but a son or a daughter, and if you are his child, then you are also an heir through God. Many of you are familiar with verse 328. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In our American context, we often look at that and go, that's equality. That's wrong. It's not a statement of family, for equality, uh, of equality. It's a statement of family. So I need you to understand when this is being, when Paul is writing this, Jews are being cast out from their families and they're from their synagogues. Greeks are being cast out from their social circles and their influence. Granted, slaves were still slaves. And the common man, well, he didn't have much at all. But for some strange reason in the church, they were now no longer identified with what they had left behind, but were identified with Jesus Christ, his saving work, and with each other. In our current context, and if you've been in church in any length of time, the revolutionary statement that Paul makes about family can go over our heads and over our hearts. For you see, we have this history that, of American Christianity which talks about the nuclear family. And so that is our concept. But the reality is that Paul was so much more than just the nuclear family. Family is the call on our lives to break the chains that separate us. Chains such as politics, race, national origin, family of origin, addiction, work, money, power. You get the idea. Paul calls these chains the world's system of enslavement. The world wants to keep us separate, but at the same time keeps going, let's be united. Unity, however, can only come in willing submission to one another, which is where John Wesley comes in. John Wesley is credited with creating what we call Sunday school, and probably the public school system, actually, in many respects, as we know it. For you see, John Wesley's mission 
was to change lives and free people by educating them so they learned reading, writing, and math. And John Wesley being, well, a pastor, couldn't help himself but provide a place of transformation. A place where they were learning not just the stuff of the world, but learning about God and life with one another. And in our context, our community right here, we call these life groups. And now, it's not to say that Sunday service, which we're all in right now, cannot be transformative. It can be. It should be. But this is to say that life groups build onto Sunday service by tying in deeper learning and more personal fellowship. Our time here is enriched by life groups as we learn more about each other, dig deeper into the word, and bring unity into a faith celebration. In Proverbs 27, 17, we read, Iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of a friend. A small life group of fellow believers sharpens us to be more like Christ. As those people sharpen us, we are better able to become family that we are called to be. The world's chains are knocked off one by one. When we were a child in the faith, we were still bound by the chains of the world. And as we work on sharpening one another, the chains fall off. And as they fall off, we become transformed into the grown and growing heirs of Christ. Life groups are to be transformational and informational. Prior to coming on board as the online campus pastor, Pastor Craig and I discussed about me becoming the discipleship pastor. And the reason I tell you this is my heart beats for transformed lives. And while I want you to be well-educated with theology, church history, and without question, the Bible, information only goes so far. If you are not seeking to be transformed into being more like Jesus, then, dear family, you're missing out on the very good life. Life groups can be transformational for anyone. Some of you have taught and helped me in my life groups to be more like Jesus. But some of those same people look down upon themselves as being not well-educated or not smart enough to teach anyone else, and they're wrong. We all can teach one another to grow and be like Christ. Remember last week, Joni talked about Peter. Let's see. His qualities are brash, short-tempered, challenged Jesus, denied Jesus, 
He led the church. He died for Jesus. I'm not asking you to leave the church, nor am I asking you to literally die for Jesus. But brash, short-tempered, might they apply to you? Or how about Matthias? Who is Matthias? So, in the book of Acts, they decide that they can't just have 11 disciples. They have to have 12. Judas left. Sort of. (laughs) So they had to replace him. So they elect this guy, Matthias. And that's the last we hear of him. (laughs) That's nothing wrong with never. He was being a leader just in his way. Quiet, behind the scenes. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be an introvert. You just have to be willing and humble and look to being transformed. So why am I talking about life groups? No, it's not because Joni told me to. (laughs) And for those of you who don't know, Joni is my wife. But the reality is that I believe that life groups are so important that everyone needs to be in one. Not should, not could, needs to be in one. Does it have to be one in in this church? No, it doesn't have to be. But the reality is, is that when we have life groups that are connected to this body, it really broadens our family, strengthens the family and brings unity into our community life. My heart's desire is that Sunday service, you're here, and life groups are truly part of your life and your heart. Sunday service is the cornerstone of the church's public life. Right or wrong? Oh, just realized I mistyped that. Oops. Oh, well, you'd think autocorrect would catch that. (laughs) Oh, well, Sunday service leads into life groups, and life groups lead into Sunday service. They build on one another. They strengthen one another. I am convinced, however, that that is not enough. I'm sure some of you have participated in life groups and gone, yeah, I'm getting the information, I'm digging in, but I'm not seeing the transforming thing. Well, sometimes it does take time. But sometimes life groups end up being informational, not transformational. So what am I supposed to do How am I to become more like Jesus? What else is there? Well, there are bands. Bands are an amazing place where people come together. And John Wesley viewed them as the private place where people were transformed and changed 
and sharpened. So bands are a, a group of three or four that are the same gender. And they live life together. They do life. They talk. Because you see, life groups are often way too big and too scary and too public to share everything. Bands allow us to build trust, to sharpen us into a deeper and deeper walk with Christ. Bands, along with life groups and Sunday service, prepare us, change us, and guide us through life. Just what I need. Something else to do. Yeah, I get it. I work outside the church full-time. I have my church stuff that I do here. I have three teenagers. Band, theater, jobs, romance, more band. Yeah, I get it. I'm busy. My family's busy as yours probably is too. But I still make it a priority to meet with my guys. There are some days my band of four do more to shape me to be more like Jesus than Sunday service does. We confess. We hold another, one another accountable. One member of our band recently shared, the first night we got together, I just laid it all out just to see what you would do. Okay. We loved him, embraced him, and went, all right, let's work on each other. That's what we do. I have found that a band fulfills a place in my life to be held accountable to love others unconditionally, and to guide one another. And as I look around in my extended Christian circles, I see a need for everyone to experience this. Whether they recognize it or not. There is a depth of relationship, meaning, and understanding that grows in these bands and is frankly sadly lacking in the lives of far too many Christians. Applying Paul's letter of Galatians to this, as fellow band members, we are guardians and trustees of one another's walk in Christ. The bigger truth is that as a church, each of us are guardians and trustees of one another as we walk toward our inheritance. So I'm not just talking about my band, but about and to each of you. We echo this responsibility during baby dedications, but I want you to not make them empty words. We are mutually responsible to and for each other, for that is what it means to be family. Family is essential to this community of faith. 
We need to focus on this. For you see, one of the biggest epidemics that is currently confronting our culture is loneliness. I read a study this week. A vast majority, like north of 70% of American adults have not made one new friend in five years. Now you, that could be, well, I'm comfortable with my set of friends. Okay. But friends, acquaintances build us and strengthen us. It is a sign of something that is desperately wrong. Men are having a bigger struggle because, well, we kind of don't, aren't very good at it. But what has happened is that there is a strong tendency right now where their spouses or significant others are becoming their only best friend their only counselor, their only iron sharpens iron. And I don't care if it's for a significant other or not. That is a very, very awful place to put a single person to bear all that responsibility for another. So, how do we live the good life with one another. Okay, I know the next one is, is simple and basic and, and a little cliche. It's pray. Pray and ask God who he wants in your life and be open to surprises. So I, I shared that with, my, with the band when, it, when God was putting on my heart to, to make a band. I had them all chosen. And God goes, nope. Nope. How about those two? Uh, They weren't the plan. And? And I will say that those two have done so much to transform me and shape me. God might just be a little smarter and wiser than me. And the reason why this is so important is because in bands and honestly in church life, we need to be authentic and trusting. And that's hard. There are people in here that have been hurt by people they love, that they treasure. Some of it's, been, some of it's happened at church. Some of it's happened at family It sucks. And it becomes hard to trust. And that is why we have to start with prayer. Because we have to trust God to give us the right person and not rely on ourselves. And the other thing with those those groups, those little personal groups, is we have to, well... Be patient 
and loving. Okay, any of you know me? Patience is a requirement. Yeah, my wife's still working on that. We are called to be a community. We are called to strengthen one another. If our musicians could come out. I want to tell you that the very good life can only be discovered and lived with others. It cannot be lived alone. For it is not good for man to be alone. The very good life is full of friends and family. And the world more now than ever before needs an example. Let our family be the example. Let us pray and prepare our hearts for the offering. Craig doesn't have to prompt you. But God gives us grace and mercy. Let's give him some of us. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for everyone here. We ask that you bless these tithes and offerings. May they bring you glory and power and honor. And may we follow you into what you have called us into this life. In gracious name we pray. Amen.